Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. What's up, guys? This is Max here, and I'm really excited to invite you to watch my Color Vision Deluxe Experience live concert on Live by Live this February. It's, it's going to be brilliant. We're playing Blueberry Eyes, Lights Down Low, Love Me Less, all the songs off my album. I hope you can join us. Tickets at livexlive.com slash max, and I'll see you February 27th, only on Live by Live. Hey guys, we've got a good CarCast episode for you today. We're going to talk to our friend Alistair Weaver from Edmonds. We're going to talk about uh, EV car miles per gallon or range testing, I guess you could say. And uh, ooh, and a wonderful SUV, super SUV heads up uh, comparison between Aston Martin TBX and Lamborghini Urus. Before we get started, a word from our friends at Dodge. You know, Dodge has officially opened the doors of the new, uh, open orders for the new 2021 Durango SRT. It's the most powerful SUV ever. I've uh, dug into some of the specs on this thing, waiting to drive one. This is a three-row uh, SUV. It can do zero to 60 in three and a half seconds and runs like 1150s in the quarter mile. I think it's just a, an animal. And exclusive for 2021, it features a 710-horsepower engine, new aggressive exterior styling, and a new interior with a driver-centric cockpit. And you know all buyers will receive a full day of pro instruction at the Bondurant High Performance Driving School, which is a, a wonderful program you guys should check out. Deliveries will begin early this year. And you know Dodge was ranked number one in initial quality and best driver appeal for mass market brands by J.D. Power. It's the first U.S. brand ever to be ranked number one in initial quality and appeal in the same year. So see your local Dodge dealer or visit Dodge.com to schedule your test drive today. Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, D'Andrea. Our buddy Gil, Bill, Bill Goldberg is, uh, is uh, he's, he's in Texas. He's on his property. He had, a, he had a few issues this morning as a result of the weather. Um, he's going to try to jump in, and uh, but I think he's meeting some people that are fixing, I don't know, a well issue or water issue or some kind of issue. Um, so uh, nothing we could do there, but uh, hopefully he gets everything worked out and uh, can jump in with us at some point uh, today. But it just so happens we've got our friend Alistair Weaver from Edmunds.com. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Matt, I think better to be in California and Texas at the moment, that's for sure. It it certainly is. And and like I, Bill, Bill for one, he's, he's, he's a humble guy. He's not going to get on and brag about, you know, or certainly complain about all the issues that are that are been going on because he's you know he's he's well off and he's got a huge property but the trade off of that is uh he's on a ranch and he's got animals everywhere there's zebras and horses and goats and and trying to manage all of that when you know when power's out for days and days on end and you want to keep the animals safe and the animals warm and the animals fed you know it's not like you can you know just hop into your your cars and you know drive out to you know stay at a hotel you know uh, however you know you can't because you can't leave the property he's got all the animals there <laughs> so you're yeah, basically zebra, zebras aren't, aren't used to snow <laughs> they're not used to snow and they they have a zebra <laughs> over there but uh hopefully they he's really gonna have a zebra. you're not no you just say that for a fact he genuinely has a zebra yeah he has a zebra yeah that's magnificent yeah i forgot i forgot his name um, 
Yeah, a huge ranch. Not just just dogs and stuff, but there's all all kinds of animals. It's uh, his wife Wanda is. Uh, that's what she does. She's a she's a rancher, and he's constantly maintaining a property. Like it's just it's a it's a full time it's a full time gig. Every once in a while, he has to go wrestle. <laughs> the zebra. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but it's a constant workout for him and their son Gage. You know, he's he's a he's a fifteen year old rancher. That kid. You know, he, he goes to high school and he plays football. But when he's not, he's getting up at early in the morning and. Helping his parents maintain a ranch. <laughs> it's better than computer games. It's yeah, it is better than computer. Oh, you know, uh, well, that's the dad comment, that isn't it? That really is. Yeah, it's interesting though. It's because uh, as long as I've known Gage since he was tiny, when he wanted to play any video games, he would have to do push-ups. So he'd have to do like thirty push-ups to play thirty minutes. And now that he's bigger. He has to do like twice. He has to do like 60 push-ups to play 30 minutes of video games. So <laughs> needless to say oh, – That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Needless to say, Gage is jacked for a 15-year-old. <laughs> like I've seen him play baseball and he just he just, he just just swings the bat and the ball is gone every time. Just home run, home run. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's quite the athlete. Um, all right. So let's get into some car stuff. Before we get started, a word from our friends at Dodge. You guys have heard this before, that Dodge is ranked number one for initial quality and best driver appeal for mass market brands by J.D. Power. It's the first U.S. brand ever to be ranked number one in initial quality and appeal in the same year. So see your local Dodge dealer or visit Dodge.com today to schedule your test drive. Oh, man, you've been out having some fun uh, testing the super uh, SUVs and um, – uh, and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, lots of EV stuff happening as well, right? And, um, uh, you know, we, we heard recently just in sort of not necessarily the consumer-facing news, but sort of the back-end stuff. You know, we heard that Rivian, is, which was backed by Amazon and Ford, is potentially looking at an IPO uh, going public at a valuation of upwards of $50 million, which would be – billion. Yeah, billion, billion, which would be quite a boon for for Ford. It's not really going to affect Amazon that much, but <laughs> but, but but quite a little boon for Ford. Um, we're starting to see. I don't know why we're starting to see companies like Tesla invest into Bitcoin instead of their own company. But I guess uh, maybe there's some money to come out of of that. Maybe it was a quick way for them to get cash. Well, uh, t- yeah, that's not going well for Tesla. Actually, their share price is down, but. But yeah, the Rivian thing's interesting, and you know we, we uh, actually were having a conversation with them last week, and you know they they there was always going to be one or two of these brands that made it through, and mm-hmm. for a long time we thought Byton was going to be one of those. A lot of Chinese backing Byton went to the wall. I mean, whether it's resurrected at some point, who knows? Uh, but right now, I mean, Rivian looks like it's going to make it through, and as you say, there could be a pretty successful IPO. Fisker also has got decent funding behind it. Um, they're actually up the road from me in uh, near LA. So, yeah, we're starting to see which brands are actually going to survive and which ones are going to fall by the wayside. Karma out there as well. So, Lucid, you know, there's a lot of brands. Yeah, what about through. Lucid? Pretty- what about Nicola? What about, uh, was it Lord Lordstown or something like that? Um, yeah, yeah, so, so- yeah, there's a lot of they also pitching in different parts of the market. So, you know, Fisker is coming in with basically a $40,000 vehicle, which will be, you know, pretty mainstream, um, the ocean. And then, and then you know, Rivian, 
Rivian's an interesting business model because Rivian has its own vehicles, which are going to be kind of $70,000, $90,000. The truck's coming first, then the SUV afterwards. But both will be on sale by, by fall, or at least uh, customers will have them by fall. And then, you know, they're in that mode. But then Rivian's also working with Ford. It's also, you know, providing electric uh, delivery vans to Amazon. So it's quite an interesting business. It's a bit like Rimac in Europe. There's, there's a lot more to it. They're not just trying to be a car maker. They're actually trying to, you know, they've got these different relationships. So it's kind of an interesting business. And, you know, the product looks good. And, you know, it won't be too long before we're driving it. We're going to be driving it by by summer at the latest. So, uh, you know, I, interesting times. I actually think the... The Rivian business model is a smart model. I think that um, you know, as as much as as we like the Tesla cars, I I thought Tesla could have thrived, maybe as well. Who knows? I mean, the stock price isn't really a good indication because there's just fans behind it buying it. But uh, technology, they could have just been a good technology company, develop prototypes and license technology to other car manufacturers. You know, you know, I mean, to a, to a certain extent, they do that, Matt, with, you know, they have SpaceX, they have, you know, it's it's a diversified company in that respect. You know, they've got the solar, the solar panels, and things like that. So where they've tried to diversify it is kind of within the within the Musk empire. Uh, but you're right. And, and that was always a question. Would they be bought out? Would they be, you know, would it be shared? But they're also doing things like selling carbon credits and things like that. So, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot goes on behind the scenes in that business. Which it, which it, which makes it which makes it so fascinating. Uh, well, so, there, uh, yeah, there's it's, been it, some it, news it, that was kind of recently is uh, uh, the United States Post Office just signed a big multi-billion-dollar ten-year deal for new uh, mail delivery vehicles, and um, it sounded like I forgot which electric car maker. I want to say Lordstown. Is that a is that a company? Lordstown. I think they bid on it. And uh, we're really kind of hoping it would happen, similar to the way that Rivian signed an Amazon deal. Rivian's going to produce 100,000 electric vans for Amazon, of which the first versions have already rolled out in in California. In in Los Angeles, I believe they're testing their vehicles already. Um, And uh, that EV company did not get it. Uh, Oshkosh, the defense contractor who makes those vehicles, got it in partnership with Ford. And they're going to modify Ford Transit Connect vans uh, through Oshkosh. So it was, it was an interesting thing where maybe Ford didn't want to bid on it because it probably had certain requirements or regulations or something. But Oshkosh said, well, you just supply the core vehicles and then we'll bid on it and we'll maintain the contract and the account service part of it and whatever. And it sounds like they got the deal. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. I think it – I don't know. It can range from anywhere from like, if I got it right, somewhere around 40, 43,000 vehicles minimum up to a hundred and something thousand, 125,000 vehicles over the course of 10 And all years. the time you get, and all the time you're getting more and more scale. It, 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 it's really interesting this year. I almost feel it's, it's January. Now this has been coming for so long and then suddenly it's kind of all happening in a massive rush. Everybody's launching EVs left, right, said I was in the ID4 yesterday, the new Volkswagen EV that looks really nice. So it is all happening really fast. You know, in, in Europe, in the UK, has just come out and said no more gas-powered cars from 30, 2030 onwards, so EV only. You know, it's, 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 ama- it's amazing how, uh, how, how fast this is happening. So I think the next 10 years are going to be fascinating. And 
we've just done a big body of work looking at the you know looking at the range testing i know you and i were just talking about this matt and that's been really fascinating there's a lot of regulatory stuff and a lot of uh stuff that really needs to catch up with the the way the market's evolving um we've we've just carried out part of what we do is is this ev range loop and the epa range has always been a good benchmark but it's done in sort of laboratory conditions and also that's very much open to interpretation with different oems making different calls and, and and various various other things so we said right what we need to do is do a consumer range test that actually reflects how these vehicles are used so we came up with a real world route and we now put every ev through this process and we think it's a it's a better replica. We're not saying it's perfect. We're not, but what we're saying is we think this is a good approximation for how people use uh, use these vehicles. Obviously, when I say it's not perfect, if you live in Michigan and it's freezing cold, you're going to get a different range doing here in California. Right. But the good thing for us is that we're we're fortunate where we're based. You pretty much have a consistent temperature in California, give or take a few degrees. Pretty much consistent road conditions. We always use the same route and then modify it a little bit depending on to the uh, on how far the vehicle will go. But we've made a really big commitment to this. So if the vehicle does three hundred miles, we literally drive it three hundred miles and then give ourselves a safety margin of ten miles left on the on the display. And there's been some absolutely fascinating results. And which results are not fascinating? <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> fascinating in a negative way <laughs> yeah i mean we've long had this suspicion because we've owned so many teslas that they take a fairly aggressive line with their range estimates and this is part of the issue at the moment that to some extent oems can take a position on what they want to claim and well, they do it with horsepower tesla, as well right like bmw for for a long time has you know said whatever the horsepower is are wildly underrated compared to what they were actually making, you know? Yeah. And we always beat Porsches zero to 60 times and things like that. So, you know, there's people sort of taking a pitch as to how they're presenting their products. And Tesla's always been pretty aggressive and basically they, no Tesla hit its EPA range figure. Now there's some, conversation going on about you know well actually did we run it to zero like epa did to leave this little margin of error but essentially all the teslas were were very tight to, to epa not not hit we're not hitting it under our tests um whereas for example the uh porsche taycan was exceeding the epa range by the 4s by 59.3 percent so we're looking, you know, we're, we're looking at taking this forward. We're looking at doing additional tests to, to offer greater verification around this. Because as you can imagine, this has caused quite a stir yeah. in the industry. We had Ford CEO, because Mackie actually beat its CPA. We've had Ford, Ford CEO retweeting it. We've had, you know, LinkedIn's gone crazy about it, all the EV community. It's really, really fun, actually. We feel like we've been at the center of, uh, of a new storm. And, and so we're, we're really building on this now and looking at what additional tests we need to do to to um to verify some of the some of the points that have been made but you know we stand behind this we put a lot of work into this and we think this is a a really solid approximation of how people use these vehicles in the real world and it really shows up the the disparity between what the epa range is being claimed and what these vehicles are doing in reality i mean the porsche is like 60 percent better in real life than porsche is claiming right so so porsche likes what you're saying ford likes what you're saying Tesla doesn't really like what you're saying, but what you're saying is 
these are the results we're getting under our testing conditions. You're not claiming they're wrong or they're right. You're saying under our testing conditions, we are not getting the same. And all things being equal, equal being we test all cars, all EVs the same way, right? So we're saying, hey, Tesla, your numbers are, are coming in a little low. Other manufacturers are coming in, you know, higher. The range is coming in a little higher. And we're doing the same exact test. We're not saying Tesla's, you know, wrong or right about their numbers. We're just saying it's not working under your testing conditions. So what does that mean, right? Like, what does that mean to anybody who wants to interpret that? Yeah, I mean, everybody's getting hung up a a little bit on the EPA numbers. And really, that's not that's not actually the the, the story. It's a, it's a headline, but it's not necessarily the story. The EPA has a range of te- has a way of testing, and it tests all the way to to zero, which is not obviously real world. You would never drive these vehicles to, to zero. You manage a you're going to be stranded, and b you you risk damaging the batteries as well. So what we do is say we're going to leave a little bit of a margin, and you could argue that ten miles of margin, you know, plus any other reserve is 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 not very much. But what we're saying is, okay, we're going to come up with a sensible real-world approximation and put all the vehicles through this test and come up with an alternative range figure and an efficiency figure as well. And and so that's really all we're saying. The the EPA thing is a bit of a, a, sometimes it's wrong to get hung up on it. What we're trying to say to the consumer, to anybody listening to this show, wanting to buy an EV, is take a look at our range figures. This is what you would expect to live with in California, driving it fairly conservatively i mean as we know a lot of evs if you live in la are driven pretty aggressively because they're pretty fast you know we are driving you know at, at, within the speed limit in a fairly conservative way but a realistic way you know if it's 65 on the highway we're going to do 65 but we're not going to do 80 so so we think it's really interesting the other i suppose the other point of this is we're, we're talking a lot about range but efficiency is going to become more and more important this is effectively the mp mpg equivalent you know, when people start to analyze their electricity bills and things like that, as things goes forwards, I think this is going to become more and more important. And, you know, every as soon as every vehicle settles at around 250, 300 miles of range, people start talking about efficiency a lot more. So measuring that as well. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that, that gets overlooked that should get more attention is what what's the cost? I don't want to say cost of ownership, but the cost of charging these vehicles if if the car manufacturers are really pushing the fact that you should charge these at home because they know the infrastructure isn't necessarily there, other than maybe Tesla, uh, they have a much better infrastructure. But if if they keep pushing, hey, charge them at home. This is a commuter car. You 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 do what you do during the day. You plug it in at night, and uh, no worries. What does that start to cost at at home? You know. Um, it, and then what factors do you have to look into? Is it the the city, the cost of electricity, the cost of, you know, uh, the efficiency of the home? You know, uh, are you plugging into 110? Are you 220? You have battery chargers on the wall. Like, how do you guys start to look at and determine what it's going to cost somebody to, to own one of these cars? Yeah, and, and, and obviously it's going to differ where you are in the country, how you get electricity, what deal you're on, all this sort of thing. And at the moment, it, there's this almost impression, and you see it. I mean, Tesla does it, and others do it, where they they say, you know, this is the this is the price of the vehicle. But what they tend to quote first is this is the the real cost. You're going to save this much in fuel, and you're going to save this, and you're going to save that. And you need to do your own maths because it's very much dependent on where you live, what you're paying for your electricity. You know, can will your will your circuit board actually accept? 
putting in a 50 amp fuse and things like that. You know, I just moved house and suddenly had a challenge where they came in and said, actually, you, you know, we're going to struggle to fit an EV plug without spending three grand on a whole new on a whole new fuse box and circuit. I forget the technical terms, fuse yeah. box, circuit board, all that sort of thing. So, you know, you've got to be, you've got to do your homework on this stuff. But, um, you know, the other, so we, we think about gas and we talk about gas being expensive in California and cheaper in Texas. Well, actually the same is true of electricity a lot of the time as well. Yeah. And it, the EV cars are rolling out faster than the infrastructure by, by a huge margin, right? Because there's no one group, you know, that is basically rallying around the infrastructure portion of it. Uh, that has an influence. I mean, in certain areas like here, not necessarily in all of California, but like some of our west side areas, Santa Monica and stuff, I believe uh, at this point you can't build a new home unless it it has like solar power or it's a lead certified, efficient, whatever, whatever type of, of house. But that's just on new builds. There's no retroactive anything. There's no – obviously you can't force people to start doing solar power and, and whatnot. Um, and then, of course, we can complain about, you know, infrastructure all we want. I'm not talking about EV charging. I'm talking about power infrastructure. I mean, California has rolling brownouts and stuff, uh, you know, especially during the summer when it's hot and everybody's running the air uh, because we have no way, no real way of storing energy. We can make actually enough energy. Then we have to constantly sell our energy off to other places, you know, Nevada and Arizona, and then – when we need it in the summer, we don't have it. <laughs> so it's kind of a, you know, it's a very antiquated uh, system. It's a very antiquated infrastructure, which, uh, you know, the only time it gets attention is when the old equipment blows up or breaks and causes a huge fire, which in California are several of our most recent fires were as a result of faulty equipment from the electric company, you know, just out in the middle of nowhere, there's, you know, a pole up in the air with some sort of, you know, connection or device or whatever. And uh, it just blows up or explodes or something and causes a huge fire. So I guess that needs to start to be looking, get looked at, you know, I don't know who pays for that. I don't know who gets fined for that. I don't know how you fix that. It still feels to me like the fines for those are still less than having to fix the issue. So people just pay the fines. That's what it feels like to me. But I maybe it works. Maybe it uh, warrants some investigation <laughs> by people smarter than us. <laughs> yeah. And I also want to know stuff like what's sadly going on in Texas at the moment. You know, there's a lot of people talk, talking about having like a, you know, and your own battery packs, your own power sources. I wonder whether this kind of thing, you know, the fires, the issues, you know whether this might accelerate some of this new technology coming in but again it, you know it's all at a cost isn't it none of this stuff is cheap but uh, it you know the the ev thing is is the EV thing is here and you're quite right that tesla has a pretty decent infrastructure particularly on on the west coast around superchargers and electrify america is a long way from that at the moment and there is a real danger that the legislation is going to you know push evs and we're all going to end up in evs and the infrastructure won't cope so the other irony is that so much of Electrify America has been paid for by Dieselgate. So Volkswagen oh, yeah. is now, you know, it's it's like the Taycan and the ID4 and everything else. You know, the only reason they've got a bit of an infrastructure to work with is because of Dieselgate. So it's, you know, it's funny how the world works sometimes. 
Uh, okay, so we should keep following along at Edmonds, uh, Edmonds.com yeah. or Edmonds.com slash road noise and, and on your social media so we can kind of find out what, what, what's going to be the verdict? How are, what's going to be the discussions that you're going to have with these EV, uh, manufacturers, uh, and, and, and Tesla's response to what you guys are doing? Yeah, if you Google, the easiest way to get to this page, and there's a, there's a chart that you can kind of play around with and you can sort according to range and efficiency and everything else. If you just Google, if you just Google Edmunds EV range, it'll take you straight there. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a good sport actually to see who's up, who's down and, and where the efficiencies <laughs> are. And we're, we're, we're fully committed. It's a big, it, it's a big resource. And there's a lot of work goes into this, as you can imagine with, with how many vehicles are hitting the market, but we're fully committed. We're all in on this because Nobody else is doing it like we are, and we think there's a really important role to play in saying actually, this is you know this is much closer to the reality of of, of what you'll experience. I I wanted to just kind of pick your brain about this uh, other thing that I'm I'm thinking about, um, and we didn't we didn't really prep for it, so uh, you know, however you want to answer, but. Do we usually prep for these things? Yeah, right. I think we sent a text to be like, "Hey, what are you doing? It looks like you're wearing your robe. Are you wearing your robe this morning?" No, it's a it's a fashionable sweatshirt. Oh, is it? It's <laughs> it's a fashionable robe. Um, what are your thoughts on why the push is all toward EV? Is this a marketing play? Is this because of co- companies like Tesla? Because what's going on with this e fuel initiative? This e fuel alliance uh, in Europe, right? So Porsche is speaking out and saying. Uh, we can make a clean alternative fuel. We we have a pretty good idea on a, 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 a hydrogen, carbon dioxide, whatever, whatever combination, a clean burning fuel that won't completely eliminate the internal combustion engine. It just and and Mazda has stepped up. I believe Mazda is the first auto manufacturer to to join Europe's e fuel alliance. Uh, Porsche has said. Uh, we can do it, and they said that as soon as 2022, they're going to roll it out their uh, their alternative fuel in possibly their motorsports, and more likely in all of their their Porsche driving centers, right? Which they claim burns about uh, 34,000 gallons of fuel a year, and they're saying they could they're going to start switching over to that as part of their testing. What are your thoughts on on this? We've we've seen car manufacturers dabble in and hydrogen and stuff as well. We've got what do we have now? A Mirai? Maybe we have a a, a Mirai that's Yeah, the Mirai, the hi- I mean hydrogen is something that really Toyota and um BMW did. Uh, Toyota and, and yeah, BMW got into Mercedes dabbled in it. But really Toyota and Honda are the only ones that have kind of continued to to sell vehicles, particularly here, here in the US. There's the Mirai and there's also a, a hydrogen version of the of the clarity that, that you can buy. Yeah, the whole synthetic fuel thing is interesting. I mean, it still comes back a little bit to how you create it and where the, the source materials come from and everything else. But yeah, it's this idea of like CO2 and hydrogen that are produced using renewable energy. Um, it's a really interesting area because actually there is there is this thing you're going to have this massive vehicle market of existing combustion engines and the, the the conventional thinking is it takes 20 years to turn a vehicle fleet over. So I'm not talking about people hanging on to classics and that that's a bit of a that's a bit of a niche. But you know day to day people's cars it takes about 20 years to completely refresh the fleet. So you know e- internal combustion cars are going to be around. People are going to hang on to them like you and I because of you know what they mean to us but but you know just day to day people are going to use them so 
if there is an alternative like this, it might well be a, a good solution. I think this is some of the, the feeling at the moment and perhaps some of the frustration with the politics of all around the world is that everybody's basic. Well, a lot of politicians have decided that EV is the way forward, that electric cars are it. And then there's a lot of other people say, well, hang on a minute, there's hydrogen, which potentially is for certain areas, or if you've got hydrogen works really well, if you've got bunkered fuel, where let's say you're running a bus fleet or you're running a taxi fleet and everybody goes back to one place to, to refuel. Mm. Hydrogen is a great solution because all you basically do, and a hydrogen car, without getting too technical, is, but is basically an EV with its own power source. So you take the hydrogen, your oxygen, and your only byproduct is water. And what it does is create electricity, which drives a motor. So it's basically an electricity car with its own, uh, electricity car, an electric car with its own charging station on board. And then as long as you, but the problem with hydrogen is how you, is the infrastructure. So how do you transport the hydrogen, store the hydrogen, service the hydrogen and, and distribute it to people? In theory, if you equipped every gas station in the country with hydrogen, hydrogen would be a fantastic solution. But there's big issues with how do you create the hydrogen? Is that eco-friendly? How do you distribute the hydrogen? So EV seems to have become this thing that actually this is the easiest solution and all the politicians have got behind it. But then, you know, the, then then e-fuel comes along and that maybe is a great halfway house or maybe it's great for keeping all the internal combustion engines going, but in a in a more eco-friendly way. And I suppose it's no different going back in time when we moved away from leaded fuel to unleaded fuel and suddenly we had to have catalytic converters and changes to engines. And, you know, people adapted fairly quickly to that. And yeah. even classics were re-engineered. And it is amazing now if you ever go behind, like, I mean, well, you got you know this better than I do, but if you ever follow like a proper classic car, proper performance car, you're always blown away by how much how kind of obnoxious it is yeah. from a, from an emissions point of view. So it, it's a really interesting time, and you know there is a danger that we get locked into EVs, and that all these other potentially great solutions are kind of passed by the wayside, and it's driven by politics. It happened in in Europe with diesel. All the politicians decided diesel was the way forward. And a lot of people in in the know, um, and I was involved in this a little bit, were saying, "Well, hang on a minute, you know, the, the pollutants from diesels can be worse." And it was all about CO two. So they pushed everybody into diesel. Then, of course, now everybody's getting out of diesel and back into gasoline. And so politics can stir things in the wrong direction, and there is a danger that some <laughs> yeah, other great sure. solutions are. Yeah, you, you know, and, and, and again, we we were talking about hydrogen because that was the basis of there's existing hydrogen cars like we talked about, but Correct me if I'm wrong. Porsche isn't saying they're going to make hydrogen vehicles. They're saying we want to do a alternative fuel that, if I'm reading this right, could power some of their existing cars because they're going to do a alternative fuel based on hydrogen that is in liquid form that is clean burning. Now, I don't know if this is like like an E85 thing, sort of a corn-based thing, but what does it do to the ethanol range or whatever? You know, like do you have to change yeah. fuel lines or, you know, do all Porsche 911s at the Porsche Experience Center, you know, did, did they need new fuel pumps or they're less efficient? Or is this something that they're saying, we're trying to create an alternative fuel that's clean burning that you can put into almost all existing combustion engine cars, maybe whatever, the last 10 or 15 years? Yeah, I mean, they're basically saying, I think it's somewhere around 30,000 gallons of e-fuel ready by 2022. And I don't think they're saying it's like 100% clean, but I think they're saying that 
expecting a CO2 reduction of a carbon dioxide reduction around 80, 85%. So it's, you know, I, th- I think what they see, you know, like this was, this was all around the GT3 launch. And I think they were trying to politically cover themselves from saying, here's another naturally mm. aspirated, mm. massively polluting supercar. And actually they're trying to say, well, actually we can kind of have, kind of have a cake and eat it here guys. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe in that, you know, I think they're also saying that the internal combustion, you know, maybe if certain countries around the world outlaw it 2030, but I don't think the US is going to outlaw it 2030. I don't think it can just as the distances and everything else and the infrastructure. So, you know, this might be a great halfway house and it might be that, you know, your truck can continue to run on this e-fuel a bit more, um, you know, with less of a sense of guilt. <laughs> yeah, I don't drive it that much. I don't feel guilty about it. I'm driving a, <laughs> I'm driving a, a Volkswagen Atlas right now. Okay. And, well, I have an air cool car, so I can't talk. So. And uh, last week was the Lexus NX300H black label black series black, black yeah black labeled lincoln i think i yeah. forget exactly what black, Lexus, black, black something yeah like something black line posh yeah posh version posh version um black line black line yes black line there you yes go. yes uh driving that car which i i i is i'm a fan of lexus and i love the lc500 that i drove just recently the convertible fantastic sounds big power this particular NX300H, for some reason, just wasn't doing it for me. Uh, you know, not to get into the whole review, we'll save that for another time. It just seemed like it didn't have any power. Like, even when the EV motor was kicking in with the gas engine, it was slow. Um, the trackpad is not my favorite uh, in in any of the Lexus cars. Um, I just felt like the Rav Four hybrid that uh, that my you know I got for my mom felt like it was faster than the NX three hundred H, and I didn't even look into the power plants yet. That's why I kind of want to save my full review for a later date. But uh, I don't know. Just I mean, it it was pretty, and there was a nice blue they sent, and everything seemed to work fine. And I get the I'm, you know I'm always been a fan of reliability when it comes to to Lexus. And uh, I don't know. It just felt like it, it wasn't there. It just didn't feel like yeah. it was, you know, it it actually felt like times where I was like pulling into traffic or merging or whatever, and I'm hitting the gas, not flooring it, but you give it that, you know, that 30% increase, 40% increase, and it seemed like it just wasn't going anywhere. And you really have to hit it to the ground, and, and then it starts – making a very anemic sound and like like it was running on two cylinders it just didn't sound uh, yeah it's also a cvt transmission isn't it which doesn't help yeah i maybe that's what it is it was just no power delivery what i'm saying is is you had to move your foot on the on the gas pedal a lot like you had to really you know go 80 percent throttle and then off and then 80 you know like to get it to go anywhere. It wasn't like you can just dip in a little bit. You know, in your mind, you're thinking, no, I want to get up the speed. I'll give it 20% on my foot. But you really had to, like, hit that thing to the floor almost all the time to just to get it to start to move. Uh, it, it was weird, especially in, when you think hybrid and there's an electric motor somewhere that's kicking in. And you think that's where my little, you know, my 0 to 30 low-end torque is going to be. It was not there. <laughs> But anyway, that was just my thoughts on that. But uh, uh, going in the other direction of SUVs, 
Uh, you drove the Lamborghini Urus, which I drove, and it's it's an animal. It makes great sounds. It's got huge carbon ceramic brakes. It's it you know it's paddle shifting. Like it's it's completely ridiculous and a whole lot of fun to drive. Um, at least for me, it was. Uh, but they sent me the nice blue one, not the Kermit green. <laughs> and uh, uh, but the other vehicle you drove, which I have not had a chance to drive yet, is the new Aston Martin DBX, the Aston Martin SUV. I can't wait to hear about it. Um, Why well, I, I I've only heard good things about it so far, which is exactly what Aston Martin needs as a brand is a lot of good things said about him. But uh, that being said. What what were you doing? You were driving the cars. You took them out around town. Yeah, yeah. Well, all, all of that. And we had a, a Euros and a and a DVX together as like the the sort of super super hyper SUVs, whatever you want to call it. And I, I think your analysis is kind of spot on. The Euros was the the Kermit Green or the Lamborghini Green. <laughs> it, it's a funny guy because you look at it, and part of me says, "Hey, this is this is pretty obnoxious." You know, six hundred and forty-one the horsepower. This in in the trim that we had with the carbon fiber, it's three hundred grand. It's a three hundred grand, six hundred forty-one horsepower SUV that weighs over five thousand pounds, five thousand two hundred pounds. Yeah, but that thing is incredible. The way that it drives. I mean, the front end on it, we just could. We had it on a test track. We had it at Willow Springs race track, and we couldn't believe how good it was. Mm-hmm. Twenty-two inch rims and the way that it goes around the corners and it's weird because the engine's a long way forward when you lift the hood. The engine's kind of you know over the front axis. It's far from front mid engine. But it's uh, it's a hell of a piece of engineering, and it's it's so well sorted, and you kind of love it despite itself. You know, it feels a bit vulgar, but uh, and also people love it. Like I, I took it through my, I was I was late to the shoot, dive through McDonald's drive through, and you know you kind of get a mixed reaction. But but a lot of people give me the thumbs up and 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 enjoying the car, which was which was good to see. And then the Aston is kind of the other extreme that it sort of slips unnoticed. You know, not many people actually know who Aston Martin are. They've got a problem with that over here. And, you know, you it's it's quite a subtle understated car. It was it was dark gray and there's a there's a fair bit of Mercedes in it. The engine comes from AMG. There's there's air suspension, ride control, and all sort of thing. But the the actual platform, it's not like the Urus, which is based on Audi and Porsche kit. This is actually, you know, Aston's own platform. And for what resource they have, and remember this car was developed when Aston was in real, real trouble before the takeover. I think they've done a, a really, really good job. It drives really well. It's fast enough, 540 horsepower. And it's just, um, and, and, and so it's, it's great to drive. There's just the bits that you notice where they just don't have the resource of the bigger brand. So the infotainment system is actually mercedes but it's like mercedes from five years ago mm-hmm. so you have a screen that's like literally about i spent the whole weekend in it like prodding the screen expecting it to be a touch screen and it's just not <laughs> and it's super slow and laborious and then there's a few squeaks and rattles and a few bits and pieces where objectively is a gle a better car mercedes GLE? yeah but it feels special the aston it does turn every journey into to an experience and at 200 grand as carlos largo my my co-worker shooting a film with me he said he said basically there's a 911 difference between the aston and the lamborghini mm. in the trim that we're testing which yeah. is a crazy way of looking at it yeah and i don't care how much rich you how rich you are 100 grand still a chunk of cash is it a 911 difference just in f- money or is it in dr- performance and drivability as well is there is that the difference between the urus and the and the dbx <laughs> 
Does it feel I like? I think there is. It, yeah. The, the Lambo is so well sorted and so well engineered and everything works inside. The only thing is inside, you never quite escape. If you drive as many cars as you and I do, you never quite escape the fact that there's a lot of Audi going on, you know, even like the choice of font and the switches, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the steering wheel is basically an Audi steering wheel with a Lamborghini badge. Whereas the Aston feels a bit more bespoke. The Aston feels like a piece of couture, you know, the leather, it might not be quite perfect, but it has that sort of smell and aroma. And it, it reminds me about 15 years ago, I actually wrote a book on Aston and spent uh, six weeks up at the factory. And this is actually built in Wales rather than England, but it still smells the same. Terrible if you're a vegan, but if you're not, it has this kind of aroma of, <laughs> leather yeah. and resin and stuff it's it's um yeah it's it's a cool thing i i really enjoyed them both and i enjoyed the lambo far more than i thought i would because because i'm not a big fan of the styling but like as a piece of engineering fantastic it's it's interesting because i think when the lamborghini uh, the urus came out nobody was a fan of this styling but this is another case where once everybody drove it and they're like, hey, in the world of super SUVs, this is kind of the best one. It it started – the performance started to trump the looks. It's a little like when the Nissan GTR came out. You know, GTR came out. People were like, eh. But the numbers kind of spoke for themselves. Crazy, all-wheel drive, launch control. And that was what? That was a 480-horsepower version or 460 460- – something horsepower version when it came out and we've gone on to kind of love that car because of what it represents and i think the lamborghini does that as well interesting enough is i'd kind of like to see the aston martin in a little bit more of a of a you know elegant but brighter color let's see sort of a metallic red or a, a, a you know a a British racing green, something that pops a little bit. And I'd like to see the Lamborghini a little bit more of a subdued color because uh, the Lamborghini, you're like, you know what I'd like to do is kind of hide the lines of this car, not accentuate them. (laughs) And uh, the DVX is so pretty that you kind of want to accentuate the lines of the car. So uh, I don't know. I think, I think a British racing green on the DBX and, you know, maybe the dark blue or the dark gray or something on the, uh, on the Urus might, uh, might be a little more my preference. Do you know the bit that's one data really winds me up? And I'm going to give you the performance figures in a minute because I, I know people. I was going to ask about you about that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. But the rear door handle, check out the rear door handle on a Urus. It's right in the middle of a crease line and it, it's almost like they, 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 they built the thing and they realized they hadn't put a door handle on. So they just kind of stuck it on. It's, I mean, most, it's rare for a brand to do an SUV well when they, you know, particularly their first one. And Aston, I think, has done a decent job of it. DBX still looks a bit awkward from some angles, but overall, I think it, I think it's a pretty car. Um, but yeah, the Eurus, I think it, if you go for silver or something like that, it can, as you say, it can detune it a bit. But uh, I don't know. There's also like, you know, you can pick your nose in the Aston. You can't pick your nose in the Lamborghini. Oh, yeah. Because every, every time you go out, it's, it's theatre. <laughs> Everyone's looking at you. All right. Before you get into those numbers, I want to hear that. I just want to tell you guys about our friends at Geico. You guys can, you own your home or you rent your home. You've heard us talk about it and how much work it can be uh, to do that. So, uh, you know, what's easy though. It's bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. And you know, that's a good thing because you already have so much to do around your home already. So just go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you can save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. 
All right. Yeah. So uh, I, I've driven the Urus, haven't driven the Aston Martin. Uh, I don't recall all of the numbers, but I remember the, the Lamborghini probably being somewhere in the three-second range, something with a three in front of it when it goes zero to 60. But uh, what do you guys come up with? So we tested it on Monday. So this is very much hot off the press. I think we've even published these yet. Zero to 60 for the Urus, uh, 3.32 seconds. Oh, so fast. <laughs> it's so fast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's so crazy fast. And on the on the skid pad, it did over a G. Wow, uh, which is pre- you know pretty impressive for a vehicle like that. Uh, DBX, you know, obviously massively slower, four point three seven seconds. So you know, yeah, it, it's mad how fast these things are getting. Quarter miles, uh, Aston twelve point one eight, uh, twelve point eight one at one hundred thirteen miles an hour. So still massively fast. Urus. 11.64 at 119.3. So it's brutally fast, the Eros, and it, and it feels brutally fast when you're driving it as well. Yeah. The only thing that you suffer a little bit with, and we found this out when we were playing around with it at Willow Springs yesterday, is if you just kick it down, there's a fair amount of, of, of turbo lag initially while it spools up to, to actually give you the performance. You know, and talking about EVs, we get so used now to instantaneous torque when you're in the when you're in the Lambo, you have to um, you know you have to sort of anticipate things a little bit, and the transmission can can sometimes fidget a bit to get itself in the right gear. But when it's on song, yeah, it's mighty. Um, yeah, it's very it's a cool thing. Did it you guys cool did you guys have more luck driving it in the automatic mode or the manual paddle shift mode? Um, a bit of both, really, and it also it has a whole range of driving modes designed to, and they're all in Italian designed to you know give you some off-road ability it's got a suspension as well and then and then through sort of Corsa and strada and everything else like the like the uh like the coupes do and that makes a big difference if you stick it into into some of like Corsa mode and everything else on the road it, it goes you know the, the engine change the engine note changes and this is the the both of them have got four liter twin turbo v8s and in the in the Lamborghini's case it's the same Volkswagen group thing that we see in Porsche in Audi and Bentley and you know, it actually has a bit of digital manipulation as well to make it sound better. The only thing I miss is when I think of a Lambo, I think of like that V10 Howl that you get in a Hurricane or yeah. a V12 that you get in a Ventador, and it sounds great and it's enhanced and everything else, and it's it's exciting. But I do miss that like crazy Howl because for me, that's a big part of a Lamborghini, and that's what sets it apart from a McLaren and a Ferrari and everything else. Is it just sounds so insane? Yeah, I would agree. I, I we drove the Hurricane, uh, the Hurricane uh, Evo uh, recently, yeah. the Spider, which obviously just accentuates the sound. You drop the top on that thing, and it's just you just turn off the radio and you just want to go zero to hundred off of every stoplight you can, just for the intoxicating sound. So in in LA, we struggle to go find a quiet road, just like a road that you can you stretch its legs a little bit. You end up in I don't know Ventura County someplace. Uh, uh, doing that, but you're just doing it for the sound because it's so it's so intoxicating that sound. I I I agree with you. I I'm a little surprised, maybe not surprised. It's all regulations and EPA and all that stuff. But you know, Aston was doing even on their DB11, they do the eight and they do the twelve, right? And you would think maybe there would be a version of that in the DBX or in the Urus, like. You know why not do the the big engine? It's funny that you were saying like all of the 
all of the different modes are in Italian when probably most of that vehicle is German at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it's so true. And actually, I see how he's, he's kind of an Italian-German cross. It's quite funny. It's Stefan Finkelman. I, um, yeah, I, I said exactly the same thing. We were at the Willow yesterday. And I said to guys, I said, look, why can't they just stick the V10 in here? And then he lifted up the hood. And like the whole thing is that even the V8, there is barely room for the V8. There's certainly no room for a couple of extra cylinders. So I guess that's the bigger issue. I think on the DBX, I, there probably will be a faster version of the Euros coming, but there will definitely be a, a more high-performance version of the DBX. And that's probably got the most headroom because it's, a, you know, they can probably do it, breathe onto that AMG engine. And, and I think the chassis can take it and stuff. So there's more to come. But, you know, these things are, are so much money. I mean, it, it really is. And the depreciation on both cars is going to be pretty staggering as well. So maybe wait, maybe wait three or four years and, and pick one up. It'll also be interesting, but now Aston's under different ownership, Lawrence Stroll, and Mercedes has a bigger uh, has a bigger share in it, and Toto Wolff, who is a big shareholder in, and runs the Mercedes Formula One teams involved. So they've now got more money. They've got more Mercedes involvement. The CEO is ex, used to run AMG. So there's for the first time in a long time, I think there's, there's potentially a really bright future for Aston. And it, the DBX is so nearly a great car, and all it needs is a bit more up-to-date technology and maybe just a little bit more polish and it'll be right there and i, I really liked it I, I i kind of objectively there's some issues but as a thing yeah you know i for, like the kind of sophistication of it for for a for a first model for you know sort of for a first gen a new vehicle launch i thought both of those vehicles seem to be done well you know there's Oftentimes, you, you know, you've, you've got to work out some bugs, and there are a few things they've got to work out. But like you're saying, the Lamborghini's pretty good, and if you can pick one up used, you know, and, and save a bunch of money, you're basically getting what's on the showroom floor right now, you know. And I think the biggest thing with, with the Aston Martin, like you said, is going to be the dated infotainment system. That's just part of their deal with Mercedes is they have to use the previous Genta stuff and and uh, I, but I I think the best thing they've done up to this point was the Mercedes and the AMG partnerships, um, being able to use some of that tech transfer, have access to some of their electronics, some of the engine packages and stuff. I know Aston is working on their own engine, their proprietary engine, in house, and we'll see what vehicles that goes into. But I I I kind of felt like when I first read about, you know, even the Vantage coming out years ago with uh, with an AMG V8. And along with that would come some of the switch gear and some of the electronic bits. I thought that was a huge selling point for uh, for Aston. If you can get something sort of bespoke, something, I don't know, you know, like you're saying, like a little bit of the hand stitching on the leather and something a little more unique and not something that everybody has, but get a little bit more toward the Mercedes reliability, that's a win. Yeah, for, for, I couldn't agree more. And actually, there's so much you can do with engine tuning and things like that now that even as a, as a customer, you, there's a sort of security in knowing that the, the really techie bit comes. There's a, a figure we pulled for the video we just shot yesterday. Last year, the Volkswagen Group, in a bad year, you know, really bad year, built 9.8 million vehicles. In the, I only had the figures for the first six months of last year for Aston. They sold 1,770. Yeah. 1,770. So... They need, you know, you can't, you can't survive and you can't exist at that level. So, you know, you, they need all this support. And I, I think you're absolutely right. What you want is something that works. 
is going to be fun and entertaining, but then get, just makes you feel special because, you know, it's exclusive, it's a bit couture, it's personalized. And that's why you spend the money. That's why you don't buy a AMG GLE or something. Right. Um, okay. So uh, what else is going on? What can we look forward to you, what you guys got uh, going on over at Edmonds? Uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff. We're about to launch a film on the F-150 against the, um, uh, the Ram 1500. We can maybe talk about that next time. Uh, but putting those, that's the new F-150, putting those together. I've just done a test myself of Bronco Sport against uh, Forrester. That's another video uh, coming oh, yeah, out in the next, next handful of days. Yeah, that was it. That was in. We had a whole, a whole new car cast about that. That was a, that was quite interesting. You know, these sort of junior off-roaders. Uh, we've got a thing coming out on the ID4, the little Volkswagen EV. It's a crazy busy time. There's so much happening. We just lo- we've just launched quite some truck content. So check out our YouTube channel. The other thing, Matt, we mentioned this last time, but I'm going to throw it back out there. We're also looking for a new video presenter host and. Uh, we just tweeted about it. I think you kindly shared the shared the tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so check out my or check out Weaver on Cars on Instagram. About to post the the ad there. Also go to edmunds.com slash talent. Take a look at it. If it's a it's a sort of freelance presenter host role. If you're interested, then um, then drop us a line. Edmunds.com slash talent. Right on. So remind us a little bit of the type of person that you're looking for. So basically, you've got to know we're not necessarily looking for the most polished, you know, TV presenter of all time. What what we're looking for somebody who has a passion for cars, um, you know, can can drive, uh, can tell, you know, as an interest in telling a consumer what a car's really like, but having some fun while they're doing it, and somebody who can get along great with the uh, with the rest of the team. So you know, we we pride ourselves on a pretty diverse bunch of people, and we, we're encouraging everybody to come forward. So we recognise there's lots of people in the racing community and the instructing community who maybe have got great interpersonal skills and great driving and great passion for the subject, um, who could be who, who could be great at you know at taking part in in our in, in basics for our, for our YouTube films. So uh, I think it's I mean I'm biased and you do have to work for me, so you know there's always a downside, <laughs> but uh, but I think it's a great opportunity and we're gonna you know we're gonna get a, I'm sure well we've already had a pretty big response and we're gonna try some people out and we're probably gonna do some screen tests and you know. Hey, it's a job driving cars and talking about them to camera. I mean, you and I do that and we, we both have fun doing it. So, you know, you can't yep. really complain. But you do. the only thing I would say is you do have to either be LA based or have pretty good access to LA because obviously we're here. Right. Okay. Well, it sounds like a fun gig and it's a wonderful opportunity for, for you guys that would be uh, guys and gals that may be interested in something like this. And again, I think uh, the emphasis is a little bit more on the car knowledge than it is on the hosting portion of it because... You know, like you said, you're going to have to screen test, but uh, the hosting portion of it can come with some instruction. It could be a little bit taught, a little bit easier than than uh, than the the car portion of it. You know, even here in in the podcasting world, um, you know, myself and uh, others, you know, we've we've gone out and taken improv classes. You can tell by how fucking hilarious this show is. <laughs> i haven't uh, no you haven't noticed you the difference yeah i haven't noticed the difference at all yeah maybe we should take another course <laughs> um all right I so we set up for that <laughs> we're gonna uh we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up i know you've got uh another meeting to go to you've got a staff of people and potentially new hosts to vet 
Uh, so we'll let you go and do that. Um, no, 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 Goldberg. I guess his, I guess his water's not running. Because you didn't get that fixed. He's still working on it. But uh, we'll uh, we'll check in with him next time. Um, and uh, everybody, you know, that's. Uh, Experiencing this tough weather, you're probably not listening to this because you've got better things to do. But when you get around to listening to this episode, um, you know, stay safe. And we're looking forward to uh, to chat with you guys uh, again soon. Um, definitely hit us up on social media as well. You can find me at Motorator, and you can find Alistair as I don't have for Alistair Weaver on Twitter and Weaver on Cars on Instagram. Does that sound right? That's right. Sweet Weaver on Cars. Uh, and go to Edmunds.com. Of course, all of your uh, your car shopping research can be done there, and uh, you can get leads to dealers and things like that. But check out Edmunds.com slash road noise, and you'll get all the latest updates and all the cool videos and stuff that these guys are putting out as well. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Until next time, uh, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. This podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free.